You are listening to the audio from Grace Bible Church. This audio message is a recording from our Sunday morning worship service. We hope you enjoy. Good morning, Grace. He is risen. (laughs) That's good. Not great, but good. And I guess that's that's just where we're going to be on Easter Sunday morning. Maybe by the end of the message, we'll do it one more time. We'll see if I remember. Man, I'm excited to be with you guys this morning. It's a special day. I want you guys to open up your Bibles, if you will, to John chapter 11. And if you came here today, you don't have your own copy of Scripture, that's okay. Uh, Just turn to page 897 in the Pew Bible right in front of you. Page 897. And I'm going to have you just kind of camp out on page 897 and or John 11 in your own Bible. Uh, Just put your finger there. We're going to get there eventually, but it'll be a while. But I just kind of want you guys to be in that spot. You know, on one Easter Sunday morning, a confident pastor invited all of the children to the front of the church. And he said, okay, kids, today I'm going to quiz you. What's the true meaning of Easter? A little girl named Sarah raised her hand and said, Easter is when all of my aunts and uncles come to my house to eat turkey, watch football, and take naps. And the pastor responded, no, Sarah, that's Thanksgiving. Anyone else? Little Billy raised his hand and said, last Easter, we decorated a tree, sang songs, and got lots of presents. And the pastor, getting a bit nervous, responded, no, Billy, that's Christmas. Does anyone know what Easter is? And then little Emily confidently stood to her feet and said, I know. Easter is a special day to remember when Jesus hung on the cross and died and was put in the tomb for three days. And then breathing a sigh of relief, the pastor said, very good, Emily. But Emily continued, and on the third day, everyone gathers around the tomb, and they wait to see if Jesus comes out. And if he sees his shadow, that means six more weeks of winter. (laughs) Well, at this point, the pastor gave up and said, class dismissed. (laughs) Friends, oftentimes, Easter gets kind of clumped in with every other holiday that's out there. From the world's perspective, it's nothing more than a special day that's set aside to enjoy hard-boiled eggs, ham, kielbasa, lots of chocolate, jelly beans, Easter baskets. But from a biblical perspective, it's so much bigger than that. Easter is a time to reflect on Jesus' death, burial, and most importantly, his what? His resurrection. In fact, the resurrection of Jesus is the single most important event in all of human history. Why? Because it validates all of the teachings of Scripture. Everything that we read in Scripture is validated because of what Jesus did, because he rose from the grave 2,000 years ago, including what he taught about the way to get to heaven. Some of you have heard this story before, but you forgot And others who haven't heard it, this is your first time going to hear it. But before becoming a pastor at Grace, I worked as an admissions counselor at Clark Summit University years ago. And as part of my job, I traveled to churches and schools to speak in chapels and youth groups. And on one particular morning, I put directions into my trusty GPS. And that was back in the day when it was like, it wasn't the smart GPSs we have today. It was the stupid GPSs. (laughs) You know, the ones you buy in the store, they already have the preloaded map on them. And you you can't really update it kind of deal. Well, anyway, I put it into my trusty GPS. Well, about 45 minutes into my trip, I found myself driving on, like, these unpaved back roads that were something out of a horror movie. 
And I, I felt like I was on my way to speak to Wednesday Adams or something like that. I was like, where am I going? And as you can imagine, I was quite shocked and a little freaked out when the GPS finally said, arriving at your destination on right. And the only thing to my right was a cemetery. No joke. I'm like, what is going on here? I was, like, I was way far away from where I was actually supposed to speak. I, and, I, and I actually missed my speaking engagement. But you see, I put all of my faith, all of my faith, in a faulty GPS. And as a result, I ended up in the wrong destination. Quite literally, I ended up in a place of death. Proverbs 14, 12 says, there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. Friends, this statement is true about all things in life. However, it's especially true when it comes to what you believe about eternal life. In other words, what you believe about the way to get to heaven is literally the difference between ending up in a place of life or a place of death. You see, sadly, there are many people who go through their entire lives believing lies about the way to get to heaven. In other words, they put their faith in a faulty source, and when they die, they're going to be shocked when the GPS over their lives says arriving at your final eternal destination, only to find themselves in a cemetery instead of paradise. The great Chinese church leader and Christian teacher Watchman Nee said, there's nothing more tragic than to come to the end of life and know we've been on the wrong course. And so all this to say, we'd be wise to avoid this tragedy, yes? We'd be wise to make sure that the road that we're traveling down leads us to eternal life. And so on this Easter Sunday morning, we're going to take a drive down this road, so to speak, making three critical stops along the way, stops that reveal how to get to heaven. And by the time we're done, not only will you know how to get to heaven, but you're going to have the opportunity to make a decision that guarantees you will go there when you die. How's that sound? That sound like a plan? And so before we hop in, let me just pray one more time over you and over our time in God's word. Father God, I want to thank you for the privilege to preach your precious word on Easter Sunday morning, a day when we celebrate and recognize the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And as it was already mentioned, apart from the resurrection, we are a people without hope. But Lord, you have raised, or risen from the dead, and because of that, we have hope today, that we too one day will rise. And so God, I pray that I would get out of your way and that you would speak to, to all those that are here today. And Lord, I do pray that if there are people here that are uncertain about their eternal destiny, that they would leave here certain by the time we're done. And I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> so there's, there's a story that's told of a Sunday school teacher who was teaching her Sunday school class about heaven. And she said to her children, if I sold my house and my car and had a big garage sale and gave all my money away to the church, would I get into heaven? And the class responded, no. And then she asked, if I cleaned the church every day and mowed the yard and kept everything neat and tidy, would I get into heaven? And again, the children answered, no. And she said, if I read my Bible, sing at church and pray every day, will I get into heaven? And the children said, no. 
Then the teacher asks, well, then how do I get into heaven? And from the back of the room, a five-year-old boy shouted, you got to be dead. <laughs> I mean, he's not wrong, right? You know, there's an old saying, everyone wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. The truth, of course, is that sooner or later, all of us are going to die. Now, I understand that death is a topic that most people try to avoid talking about. However, avoiding it doesn't change its reality. Hebrews 9.27 says, As just as it's appointed for a man to die once, and after that comes judgment. You see, sooner or later, each one of us are going to have to stand before the Lord to give an account of our lives. And only those who are declared innocent before God will be allowed to enter heaven. The problem is that left to ourselves and our own merits, there's not one of us in this room that can claim innocence before God. And this leads us to the first stop on the way to get to heaven. Number one, it's the problem of sin. The problem of sin. Most of the verses I'm going to read this morning are going to be on the screen. You just keep your fingers in John chapter 11. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All. You know what all means? All. It means you and me. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You know, over this past week, I, I stumbled across an interesting fact. The birthplace of the American vacation is the Anirondack Mountains. Okay, that's cool. But what's even cooler and more interesting to me is that the person responsible for encouraging Americans to vacate was a young preacher from Boston named William H.H. H. Murray. Now, I don't have time to get into all the details. You can Google it. It's actually kind of a fascinating story. But basically, in the summer of 1869, it was the original summer of 69, but anyway, in the, in the summer of 1869, Murray wrote a book that suggested that spending time hiking and canoeing and fishing were the ultimate source of refreshment and renewal for city dwellers. And as his book gained popularity, so did visitations to the Andorondack Mountains. And the rest is history. They built hotels and motels and all these places to stay. And then, of course, vacations kind of began. And so the concept of the American vacation was born in uh, 1869. And of course, a lot has changed with how, how Americans vacation today. However, the reality still remains that vacations, as we know them, exist because of a preacher. You know what that tells me? When you are on vacation, go to church, okay? <laughs> go thank a pastor for being on vacation. But you know, the, the primary reason why people take vacation is to take a break from the stressors of everyday life. Just like the prescription given to Bob Wiley in the movie, What About Bob? People try to vacation from their problems. But no matter where we go, or what we do, there's one problem that we can never escape. The problem of sin. And sin is anything that we say or do or think that is contrary to God and his ways. And according to scripture, all of us are guilty of sinning against the Lord. And the consequences of our sin, they follow us everywhere we go. We can't escape them. Why? Because sin is within. It's in our hearts. Jesus said in Mark chapter 7, For from within, 
Out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual morality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. Friends, listen, the reason why we have political divisions and mass shootings and diseases, depression, racism, prejudice, broken families, injustice, crying, pain, suicide, terrorism, or any other evil that you could think of can all be traced back to the sin that's within our own hearts. And the most devastating consequence of our sin is the impact that it has on our eternity. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. You see, not only is physical death a consequence of, of sin, but so is spiritual death. What do I mean by that? Well, see, the Bible teaches that God is holy. He's righteous. He's good. He's perfect. He's set apart, which means he cannot have anything to do with sin. And since all of us are scarred by sin and since we're born with a sinful nature and we have this natural disposition to rebel against God and his ways, when we die, if left in this sinful state, we must go to a place of eternal separation from God, a place of eternal punishment originally prepared for the devil and his fallen angels. And the Bible calls this place hell. In 2021, a Pew Research poll revealed that more Americans believe in heaven than they do in hell. Which, when you consider the chilling realities of hell, I could understand why many people choose to not think about it or believe in it. I mean, Scripture speaks of hell as this place of conscious eternal torment. Even the great preacher D.L. Moody, he said, I cannot preach on hell unless I preach with tears. I mean, the reality of an eternal hell is absolutely terrifying. However, a lack of belief in its existence doesn't mean it doesn't exist. And contrary to popular belief, are you ready for this? Not only is hell real, but it's the eternal destination. It's our default destination for every single one of us in this room. Why? Because all of us are guilty of sin. And, you know, there are many people who mistakenly believe that if they're, when they die, if they're good outweighs, they're bad. They're going to go to heaven when they die. And listen, I used to believe the same thing, so I don't blame you for believing that. But, but here's the thing. Here's my question. How good is good enough? How good is good enough? What's your standard? What's God's standard? Like, how good is good enough? What standard are you using to measure your own righteousness? And then the question becomes, man, is it really wise to bet all of my eternity on my standards of righteousness? Does God have something else to say about this? You see, God actually has his own standards of righteousness. And it's by his standards that we're going to be judged, not our own. Not our own. James 2.10 says, forever keeps the whole law, but fails in just... One point has become accountable for all of it. You know what that means? It means God's standard is perfection. And there's not one of us in this room, including the man preaching you today, especially the man preaching you today, who has lived up to God's perfect standard. 
It doesn't matter how much penance we pay. It doesn't matter how much self-improvement that we do. The prophet Isaiah tells us that even our finest efforts, they're like filthy rags in the eyes of God because God's holy. Now, you might, you might say, Pastor Mike, listen, I, I know I'm not perfect. I admit that. But I try my best to be a good person and live a good life. Doesn't that count for something in God's eyes? I get it. I get it. I get it because I used to say and believe the exact same things. But I'm just telling you, the Bible says something different. The Bible says that God looks at our hearts. And as we just learned, our hearts are in bad shape. Jeremiah 17, 9 and 10 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who could understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. You see, friends, the bad news is that our sinful condition creates this spiritual barrier between us and God. And it carries right into eternity. And there's nothing that we can do about it. Like, wow, why did I come to church today? He knows. <laughs> but there's good news, buddy. Because left to ourselves and our own devices, we are without hope. But on this Easter Sunday morning, I've got some really good news to share. Would you like to hear it? There's nothing that we can do about it, but there is something that he could do about it. I love what Billy Graham said. You're born, you suffer, you die, but fortunately there's a loophole. You guys want to know what that loophole is? All right, we're going to talk about that loophole. This leads us to the second stop, the promise, or excuse me, the provision of a Savior. The provision of a Savior. Romans 5.8, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. One of my favorite verses in all of Scripture is Romans 5.8. In his book, Written in Blood, author Robert Coleman told the story of a little boy whose sister needed a blood transfusion. The doctor explained that she had the same disease that her little brother recovered from just two years earlier. And her only chance of survival was a transfusion from someone who had previously conquered the disease. And since the two children had the same rare blood type, the boy was an ideal, don ideal donor. So the doctor asked the boy, would you give your blood to your sister, Mary? And at first, Johnny hesitated, and his lower lip started to quiver. And then after a brief moment of hesitation, he smiled and said, Sure, anything for my sister. And soon the two children were wheeled into the hospital room. Mary was pale and thin, and Johnny was robust and healthy. And neither of them spoke. But when their eyes met, Johnny grinned. And as the nurse put the needle into Johnny's arm, his smile began to fade as he watched the blood flow through the tube. And with the ordeal almost over, Johnny's shaky, nervous voice broke the silence of the room. And he said, Doctor, when do I die? And at that moment, the doctor realized why Johnny initially hesitated and why his lip quivered when he asked about donating his blood. You see, Johnny thought that donating his blood meant giving up his life to save his sister. And of course, that wasn't true, but that's what he thought in the moment. And he willingly made that decision anyway. Isn't that amazing? 
Greater love has none than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Friends, every single one of us has a terminal disease that's far worse than Mary's. The disease of sin. And this disease requires more than just a donation of blood to be cured. It requires the shedding of blood. 2,000 years ago, Jesus was born as a man. And he lived a perfect life and willingly shed his blood and gave his life on a cross so that you and I might be saved and go to heaven when we die. Galatians 3.13 says, But Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. For it's written in the scriptures, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Listen, don't miss this. Every human being owes a debt to God that we can never repay. And so God paid the debt on our behalf. The sinless son of God took your sins and my sins upon himself. Every evil thought you've ever had, every evil deed you've ever committed was placed on him as he hung on the cross. He took it all, everything. Jesus, the perfect son of God, became guilty of your sins and my sins. But that's only half the story. That's only half the story. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, not only did Jesus take your unrighteousness upon himself on the cross, but he offers to give you his righteousness in exchange. We call this the doctrine of imputation. Jesus offers to empty the sin out of your spiritual bank accounts and replace it with his perfect righteousness. For those who accept Christ's offer, God no longer sees their sin. He only sees Christ's sinlessness. And it's this divine transaction is what enables someone to go to heaven when they die. The great preacher Charles Spurgeon said this, he said, when God accepts a sinner, he is in fact only accepting Christ. He looks into the sinner's eyes and sees his own dear son's image there, and he takes him in. You understand what, what Jesus did for you on the cross? He took all of your sins upon himself. And he said, I'm going to give you all of my perfect righteousness so that when my father sees you, he sees me, and you get to go to heaven. Now you might be thinking at this point, why would God do something like that for someone like me? Why would he leave the glories of heaven and humble himself to the point of death on a cross? Why would he willingly take my sins upon himself? Why? Friends, he did it because he loves you more than you could ever know. In the eyes of Christ, your soul was worth the sacrifice. You see, God doesn't want you to perish. He doesn't want you to spend eternity apart from him. He wants to save you and give you the free gift of eternal life. And he provided a way to do so. Jesus said, I'm the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Now look, I understand that in our ultra-sensitive world, an exclusive statement like this might be triggering to some people. But listen, here's the deal. Jesus is not arrogantly saying, it's my way or the highway. Jesus is lovingly and softly 
and tenderly and urgently saying, you want to be saved? You want to go to heaven when you die? I'm the only one that's coming for you. I'm the only one that's coming. I'm the way. I'm the truth. And I'm the life. Which, of course, begs the question, how does a person become saved? How do you receive Christ's righteousness? How do you become a beneficiary of Christ's sacrificial death on the cross and be sure that when you die, you will go to heaven? Well, this leads us to the third stop. It's the process for salvation. John 3.3. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. When Jesus says truly once, that's a big deal. When he says truly, truly twice, that's like a... I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You know, in his crusades, Billy Graham would often tell a story of a 10-year-old boy who was writing a thesis on birth. He went to his grandmother and asked, Grandmother, how were you born? And she said, a stork brought me. He went to his mother and asked, Mother, how were you born? She said, a stork brought me. And then he asked, well, how was I born? And she said, a stork brought you. And so the boy began his thesis by writing, there hasn't been a natural birth in our family in three generations. <laughs> Friends, all of us are born physically. However, if you want to be saved and know for sure that you're going to heaven, Jesus said that you need to be born again spiritually. In other words, you need to experience a new birth that comes from heaven above. And this new birth, this supernatural transformation happens when you personally place your faith in Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You see, the moment when a person places their faith in Jesus, they're not simply reformed, rehabilitated, re-educated, recharged, remodeled, or even reupholstered. They're recreated. Spiritually speaking, they're given a completely new identity. At the moment of belief, the Holy Spirit indwells a believer, and they become a born-again child of God. John 1.12 says, But to all who did receive him, to those who what? Believed in his name. He gave the right to become children of God. And as children of God, not only is your eternal life promised, but your earthly life is given a new purpose. Shane Pruitt said the gospel doesn't just call us from things like sin and death and destruction. It also calls us to things. It calls us to a relationship with God, to new life, to love others, to the church, to the kingdom, to hope, to freedom, to peace, to victory, to a purpose, to a mission, to never look back. Jesus said in John 10.10, 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I came that you may have life and have it what? Abundantly. Friends, if you want to be saved, and experience abundant life. Now, when I say abundant life, I'm not talking about the cars and the houses and all that stuff that the world thinks is abundant. I'm talking about what it means to have a relationship with the living God and to live your life with a purpose that outlasts this life. 
if you want to be saved and have an abundant life. It, it all comes down to what you believe about Jesus. And so earlier I told you to keep your fingers in John 11. Now's a good time to go there. John 11. And just read with me. Follow along as I read verses 25 through 26. Just two verses. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Friends, your answer to the Lord's question, do you believe this, is literally the difference between death and eternal life. Do you believe that you're a sinner in need of a savior? Do you believe that God sent his only son, Jesus, to be born as a man, live a perfect life, and die a horrible death on a cross to pay for your sins? Do you believe that three days later, Jesus rose from the grave, and in doing so, provided an opportunity to be, for you to be saved and live forever? When it comes to your salvation, have you personally made a decision to put all of your Easter eggs, so to speak, in one basket? Spiritually speaking, have you put it all on Jesus? Not yourself, not your good works, not how many times you confess your sins, not how many times you go to church or give to the church, not your good works at all, but you are literally by faith saying, God, I am the same way I trust a, a light to change to green and stop at red uh, when I'm driving on the road. Like I am putting all of my trust for my, all of my eternity on what you did on the cross. Have you trusted in Jesus and Jesus alone to save you. Personally. Not this ethereal, oh yeah, I believe in God, whatever. I'm talking to have you, have you personally received Jesus? If your answer is yes, then you have every reason to rejoice on this Easter Sunday morning. Because the Bible promises that based upon your profession of faith in Christ and the fact that he rose from the grave, you will be in heaven when you die. By the way, salvation is forever. Okay, You can't lose your salvation. When you give your life to Jesus, you are in his hands and no one can snatch you out of his hands. That's a promise you can take to the bank. Yeah, come on. <laughs> However, if your answer is no, or you've never personally placed your faith in Christ, then on this Easter Sunday morning, you have an important decision to make. You must decide what you're going to do with Jesus. Dr. Crawford Lorette said, when you're born, you look like your parents. When you die, you look like your decisions. Who are you going to look like when you die? Are you going to look like someone who's been forgiven by Jesus? Or are you going to look like someone who's forsaken Jesus? Friends, the time to make a decision is now. Years ago, I trusted in a faulty GPS. And my final destination was a cemetery. And at that point, it was too late to turn around. The same is true with eternity. Once you die, it's going to be too late to turn around and make a decision for Christ. It's for this reason that 2 Corinthians 6, 2 says, Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Listen, those who make this conscious decision to delay giving their lives to Christ almost always never get around to doing it. And they're going to spend an eternity regretting it. Don't be one of those people. The Lord is willing to save your soul right here, right now. 
I mean, that's a good deal. I mean, you came to church maybe unsure of, of where you're going to spend eternity and you could leave church confident because of what Jesus did and your belief in him, you're going to go to heaven when you die. Like, I don't know, you guys are probably getting hungry, but I feel like your lunch is going to taste a little bit better knowing that you're going to heaven when you die. The Lord is willing to give you the free gift of eternal life right now. And it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how far you've fallen off the grid. Romans 10.13 declares, for everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And last time I checked, everyone means everyone. Everyone. That means you. And so if you want to be sure that you're saved, if you want to be sure that you're going to heaven when you die, if you want to start a new life with Christ, then you must personally call upon him to save you. But what if I mess up again? You are going to mess up again. But Pastor Mike, what if I sin again? You are going to sin again. But Pastor Mike, what if I'm not good enough? You're missing the point here. You are, you're not good enough. You're not good enough. That's why Jesus died for you. you got to stop trusting in yourself. Remember, you're putting all of your eggs in Jesus and what he did. It is by faith. And so right now, I invite you. I'm going to have everyone bow their heads. And I want to invite you, if you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, to receive him as your Lord and Savior right now and leave here knowing for sure you're going to heaven. You can do so right now just in the, in the quietness of your seat just by praying something like this. And those in here that already know Jesus, you could just listen and affirm this prayer because you know, you know how it's changed your life. You could pray, dear God, I know that I'm a sinner and I ask for your forgiveness. And I believe that Jesus Christ is your son. I believe that he died for my sin and that you raised him to life. And I want to trust him as my savior and follow him as my Lord from this day forward. Guide me in my life and help me to do your will. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Listen to me. If you prayed that prayer, and there's nothing magical about the prayer, but it's, it's the heart behind it. If you prayed that prayer and you meant it, the Bible teaches that you are now born again child of God, and you are given the promise of eternal life. John 3.36 says, whoever believes in the Son, what? has eternal life. You don't guess, you don't hope, you have it. You have eternal life. Church, can we celebrate that amazing truth of doctrine this morning? Isn't that awesome? I mean, some of you guys that might be here for the first or second time, you're like, how come these people are so crazy with their instruments and they have their hands up in the air and some people are woohooing and dancing around? It's because we know we have eternal life. That's worth dancing about, okay? We could dance at the Kenny Chesney concert last night. We could certainly dance. Because we have eternal life. Yeah, come on. And so if you prayed to receive Christ this morning, for the first time today, I'm just going to ask you to do one thing. Just mark it on your, on your Connect card. And here's why. Um, and, just, and you can just place it in the gray basket on the way out, or you can take it back to the Welcome Center and get that really nifty gift that Pastor Dan talked about earlier. 
But the reason I want, I, I want you to mark it on your card is because the Christian life isn't an island. Like No man is an island. We're, we're meant to do life together. And, and so if you prayed to receive Jesus, the next thing you're going to be asking in, in, your, in your own heart is, now what? We want, we want to help you with that question. So if you mark it on your connect slip that say, hey, I prayed to, to receive Christ today. Then over the next couple of days, not tomorrow, but probably Tuesday or Wednesday, uh, one of us, myself, or one of the other pastors, we're just going to probably email you, reach out to you somehow, and just say, hey, listen, we're really excited that you made this decision. Here's the next step. We want to get you started on the right path in your journey with Jesus. Does that sound good? So at this time, I want to I invite the praise team forward. We're going to close by celebrating our resurrected Savior. Believing that there are some of you in this room that have been born again this morning. And listen, maybe, maybe you didn't pray along with that prayer. Maybe you still got questions. That's okay, but I, I just want to encourage you. Today is a day of salvation. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. Maybe there's some of you in this room that like, you missed out. Maybe you, you checked out when I was praying, but you're like, man, I, 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 still, I want to leave here knowing where you could just pray right now in the quietness of your seat. Like I said, there's nothing magical about the group prayer. It's just an opportunity to get your hearts focused and confess before the Lord your belief in Jesus. Do, do that before you leave. Do business with God. Let me pray over you and then we'll sing. Father God, I want to thank you for the blessings of the resurrected Savior. I want to thank you, Lord, that when we come to faith in Jesus, there is nothing that could snatch us out of your hands. Lord, I want to thank you, Lord, for revealing to me many years ago that I was a sinner in need of a Savior and that you saved my soul. And undoubtedly, you saved the souls of of so many in this room, maybe even this morning. And so, Father God, if there are people here that, that have, have prayed to receive you for the first time, help them to, to be bold, to mark it on their card, to, to tell me, to talk, tell the person they brought, Lord, but share that information so that we can celebrate that amazing decision. Your word says that the angels in heaven rejoice over one sinner who repents. There's a, there's a party going on in heaven when somebody places their faith in you. Thank you for that truth. Lord, thank you that you, you rose from the grave. Paul says that if, if, if you did not rise from the grave, that our faith would be futile and we die in our sins. But you, in fact, have rose from the grave. And you are the first fruits of all that will one day rise. And we thank you for that truth. Lord, continue to draw those in this room to yourself, even as we close. And ask this humbly in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Grace Bible Church. For more information about our church and our ministries, you can visit gracebiblepa.com.